0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Giselle O. Alvarez. Giselle is an incredible dancer and performer who also happens to be my sister-in-law. She's had a really interesting path from ballerina to modern dancer to Broadway performer, and she just celebrated five years as a dancer in Phantom of the Opera. Congratulations. I'm so grateful she was up for being a part of the podcast. It's been a long time coming, and it was a delight to sit down and have this in-depth artistic conversation, something we don't often get to do between family things and our busy lives and her being an amazing Tia to my daughter. I hope you enjoy the 151st episode of The Compass. do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist and then kind of related to that is what does the dark side look like for you most
0: often when I say that um I think for me the dark side definitely looks like depression (laughs) just kind of plainly um where I as you know, I'm a pretty extroverted person mm-hmm. and I, uh, love to have a good time and I usually have a smile on my face. And so the dark side looks like sadness and has, there's tears and it's, it's a, it's a visceral feeling. It's something that I feel, um, not just in my mind, but with like my whole body. Um, and you know, as a dancer, I kind of make sense. Um, yeah, totally. but, uh, Sometimes it feels, uh, it's like debilitating because it's so um palpable. Um, so I would say that that's what it looks like for me. It's uh, I think it's something that people notice immediately because it's not, um, it's not your normal, mode yeah, of being my, yeah, it's not my normal way of being. So people know when I'm not okay. Um, I'm not very good at hiding it. <laughs> Do you
1: feel like? It comes up for you just as a chemical, normal cycle in your life, or do you feel like it's specifically related to your artistic, um, artistic life and career in a different way that can trigger that sometimes. That wasn't very articulate, but
0: no, I yeah, I think it's something that it depends because sometimes I think it. uh, I'm very fortunate to get to do what I love every day and there's a lot of then guilt that comes along with being able to sing and dance eight times a week on a stage that I feel bad for not wanting to do it because there's so many people I know who want to be doing what I'm doing and would kill for that opportunity so then it's like I, it, yeah. I kind of cycle in this, like, well, you shouldn't feel bad about, like, you shouldn't ever feel like you don't want to do this because this is all you've ever wanted to do. But then I'm also a human being that has feelings and that, uh, you know, yeah. has to like, <laughs> and it's your job and it's, and it's still a job at the end of the day. It is six days a week, eight times a week for as I'm almost five years now that oh I've been doing God. this. So. I think the dark side for me is remembering that as much as it is difficult and that it is a job that, you know, five years ago I wasn't doing this. Five years ago I was Mm -hmm. waiting tables and I was cleaning dance studios and, and the dark side looked very different, you know, so I guess it's just...
1: Yeah, that's that's tricky to to feel guilty about yeah. something you're
0: going through just
1: because you know that it's such a rare situation that you're in.
0: Yeah, it's it's unheard of, really. I mean, the show turns turns 32 today. It's the 32nd anniversary of Phantom of the Opera, and it's mind boggling that it's just almost as old as I am. Right. <laughs>
1: and that it's one of the steadiest jobs in theater.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to sometimes it's difficult to stay, um, happy when, even though you're getting to do what you've always wanted to do, you know, like anything else, it's, it's still the, the, the rigors of doing the same thing over and over again. And so like, I think for me, I, I don't know, this is super roundabout. I feel like I'm not quite, no, we're g- we're going to go through all the corners. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I, cause for me, like what helps me stay in the light, is to stimulate myself creatively outside totally of phantom and whatever kind of light that I get from doing the job is just bonus but I don't rely on the job anymore to give me that that full creative juice right. because it it and it's not that it doesn't but it has kind of its limit like it's I've, I've reached to the the point of, like, creative fulfillment in that building. And so even though I still get to relive the same scene every night and there's still moments of fun and my cast is incredible and, like, the audience isn't ever the same, it's never the same show, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's still that, you know, spark of live theater that you never know what really is going to happen. But um, I found that from personally, if I rely on the show for my creative happiness, it's never going to quite fulfill me.
1: When in the last five years, do you feel like you made that realization and started to seek out those other outlets consciously? Um,
0: I think it kind of hit after the 30th anniversary. Um, I think there was something in my brain that I had set saying, oh, well, I'll only be in the show for about three years. Like I want to hit that 30th mark, you know, three years is a kind of substantial amount of time to be with a show and then you know I'll be ready to move on. And so I think um I think something subconsciously kind of like f- cemented itself that when that time were to come then it was time for me to move on and I was fortunate enough to, you know, be at some callbacks for some pretty big shows but didn't end up booking the show and so I definitely fell into the dark side. Yeah. And Cause you would set up this, this like expectation timeline, this timeline. Yeah. yeah, That is, you know, unrealistic. And, you know, obviously there's so much in our industry that we can't control. Um, and so it really, it kind of manifested in sadness and depression, but then it also, then I got like an upper respiratory infection. So like I physically got sick and I was like (laughs) out of the show for a whole week And then it was one of those moments where I realized that like I can't I can't keep spiraling down. Like it's literally affecting my well being at this point. So and for me as a dancer, it's always dance class. Like if I go to class, I can forget about what's worrying me or what's going on in my brain and I can just like express myself with my body and just that's a a source of therapy for me that is really difficult to replace um so it's always that go-to but then that started to feel not enough anymore and I think as an artist I've grown so much from being in this show like I've this is my Broadway debut it's the first time I've acted on a stage Mm -hmm. I, I use my voice that I sing I mean, I even play the cymbals. <laughs> like I do a lot. I do a lot more than um, has been required of me, or expected of me in the in, past in your dance in my career, dance career. That you know, as only a concert dancer. On dance, yeah, yeah. And so now exploring all these other facets of my creativity, I realize that I don't have the, the training and the the background and the like weight of knowledge of how to truly express my creativity in these new facets Mm -hmm. as I do in dance. And so I realized that just going to dance class wasn't enough, you know, because it doesn't spark that same kind of curiosity of, of learning a new skill, which is terrifying and, you know, imposter syndrome, hardcore. Right. (laughs) But if we're not running towards the fear, then like, then what are we doing? We're just staying stagnant. And I, I, I knew that at that moment I was like, you know what? I didn't book that show because my voice isn't strong enough. I need to commit to vocal lessons. And so for the last year and a half, I've been going to a vocal teacher for, you know, twice a month, every two weeks. I see him religiously and, you know, my voice has improved. Um, and then I started just building on that where it's like, okay, great. I have this, this is now kind of a steady thing. like, what else can I learn? And I think that's, I think that's part of it too, is, being in the same show doing the same thing eight times a week it's it's not stimulating anymore despite it's like production value and (laughs) it's like it's you know it's a huge show with all of these set pieces and ridiculous melodrama like it is big and entertaining but somehow being on the other side of it it doesn't kind of fulfill that um I don't know the like the wide uh, possibility of like creative stimulus. And mm-hmm. so I think, I don't know, like being a student again and learning something new, I think that that's what I feel like I was missing. And and still to this day, I'm constantly seeking opportunities to be a part of a process, be a part of uh, creating something new or learning something new, where I find that that's what keeps me, excited and feel alive and feel present in january of 2020 because that's the other thing like this show was made in 88 right you know like this is a very we we joke that it's like the majestic time warp (laughs) because like we have no concept of time in that building and it's it's insane to me that i've been there for half a decade like that is still really hard to wrap my head around
1: of course but but, it's but been also in five
0: like years. Like that's still a significant amount of time. But it also feels like I debuted a month yeah. ago.
1: <laughs> I completely understand. Um, yeah, but it, it is look like, for what you were talking about, like it's it's also in a beautiful way drawing on that tradition of storytelling. It's not drawing on like today's version of like what a play could be or like what a, the different mode of storytelling that you could use or how dance could be used in that in that production
0: totally yeah i i mean the the dancing is just a like a byproduct i feel of the storytelling right. it's because cuz it's, it's uh yeah exactly cuz it's set in an opera house with an opera company that has dancers but it's not about dance right so I think that's another I think another way where I have learned that or I guess more why I felt so unqualified for the job at times because yes I have a certain set of skills that make me appropriate for this job but when you start looking at what the show is about and what the story is and telling that story. It's not about the tendu or the jam or like what my ballet technique right. is, is, it's, it's just, a, it's about telling the story. And so I realize almost the moments in which I'm not dancing, when I'm just background of color of setting a scene, like that's where the storytelling is. And that's how the audience is going to understand like who I am in this, big world of people who is not the important person. It's right. not like the main story, but how I'm adding and it's to in, tell it's that important. story. Yeah. And then it's like, that's what, that's what keeps me still putting a smile on my face and still going to work and still really enjoying it is because then that's where I get to be creative. It's not in the things that I'm really skilled at. It's in the doing the things that I'm not skilled at. Right. <laughs> Does that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, I love that, though, because I um, we just recorded the episode that'll be right before you with <laughs> our friend Monik mm-hmm. yesterday. And he was saying how much he's... like. This is something that we talk about a lot on the podcast, but how the things that you do outside of the job that someone gave you are really the things that are going to carry you through in the long term. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it's even more important for you to do those things when you have a job, mm-hmm. because then you are have paid time to pursue them right Like even even if you're super busy doing the job you're getting paid for anytime when you're on a break or when you're doing when you have the morning or whatever you're like you're not worrying about where the paycheck's gonna come from and you can focus on learning those new skills and I was like that just makes so much sense <laughs> well yeah sometimes it's hard to utilize those times because honestly and I'm sure from this long-term show you can speak to this you need to do self-care you need to sleep you need to wash your dishes. You need to do your laundry. <laughs> it takes yeah. some discipline to utilize that time the way you're doing to take classes to further your skills, you know, not just maintain your body. Right. Which is important. Which is it's still
0: it's still a part of it, too, <laughs> yeah. because then, you know, it's like you have with a show like this, there's repetitive stress. And so I have two workman comps claim out for the right side of my body, my hip and my ankle that... I've extended now because it's not that I'm off. I'm not injured enough to not do the show, but I'm not getting better in a normal amount of time because I'm still doing the show. I'm still repetitively (laughs) stressing the same areas of my body. So that's PT twice a week. And then, you know, then there's, and this is all outside of your work hours. Exactly. That's seeing a physical therapist, you know, twice a week. And then on top of that is like to keep my body in check. I can't just do the show because it's, totally lopsided so I have to go to ballet class at least once a week and everybody is different Everybody is different but personally like if I don't take a ballet class a week a yoga class and then something for fun whether it's hip-hop or theater or modern contemporary like moving my body in another way because I am more than just a ballerina I like to move my body in many different kinds of ways and so for <laughs> me like that feeds my soul and that keeps me um, keeps my body in check too, because I'm keeping all of those skills still sharp because I don't want to lose all of you know, the decades of work that I've put in to cultivate this body to do what it can do. And so, you know, for a career that hopefully will extend beyond Phantom of the Opera one day, you have to, it's so much about what you do outside of the show because the show itself doesn't keep you, in check. Does that make sense? Like, and it's not even just that, then there's like, now I've, I see a vocal therapist because I had pharyngitis last year and it just wasn't getting better. And I was concerned that it was something way worse. And so hopefully I've been really good about not speaking in my vocal fry, (laughs) Uh, but like my speaking voice, like the way that I use my voice generally is not healthy. And so learning how and when to use my voice Uh, all the different ranges that it can hit Mm -hmm. like not just sitting in this place right right so learning about you know these tiny little muscles that i mean i have so much control of my body but these little guys (laughs) are so new and foreign to me and there's just always more to learn yes and so then it so now i see a, a vocal therapist as well and like you know like i don't have you know I'm pretty open about who I am, and you know I also am living with multiple sclerosis. So that includes mm-hmm. doctors' visits, that includes uh, infusions every 28 days, that includes uh, seeing a mental therapist twice a week, uh-huh. which I still see, who is such a source of stability and and help for those dark moments because having somebody to just bring things to speech to. Helps kind of understand what's going on, yeah. In your in your head, so that you're not like I don't know. It like holds me accountable. So yeah, and so then it's like it's just nonstop. It's just it. You're always there's there's always something else that you can be doing. And I <laughs> I I some I'm trying to get better. Goals for 2020 is you know slow down, like take have a, some downtime. Yeah, take some like rest, like sleep. To take a whole day off like if you're not well call out it's okay that's what they're there for
1: mm-hmm. that's why there are sick days
0: I feel like you that know? must be
1: a whole different thing in a long-running show because that you know if you're doing in a show that's only has a month of performances there's kind of this frantic the yes. show must go on quality yes whereas in a show like yours there are protections built in mm-hmm. To give you vacation days and days off if you
0: really need them. Yeah, and they're, I mean, especially something that is so physical, you know, like it's, I mean, my responsibility in the show is is not as intense as some of the the principles, but like the, the emotional turmoil that you go, that an artist puts themselves through, like sometimes you just can't do it because like you can't get there and so you're not you're not going to put out your best performance because emotionally what you have to do is so intense and visceral that i couldn't imagine not having those days put in the like you know like it's, it's a lot what we do because we express so much emotion that i think it sometimes you don't realize how it actually takes a physical toll in your body until you stop doing it or Or how
1: you're carrying it into the rest of your Mm -hmm. life yeah yeah when you were first joining the show and kind of learning the rules of equity and how this new musical theater world worked did you feel like people were straightforward with how all of those protections worked or did you at first feel like I can't ask for the day off I can't I can't take care of myself yet because I'm proving myself or something you know
0: um I think I think it was made very clear about how sick days work how personal days work that those things were available to me um we put so much pressure on ourselves oh yeah and it's definitely a dancer mentality too for sure where it's like oh well I twisted my ankle it's fine like it's fine I can just you know wrap it up and keep going or take a bunch of Advil and just you know push through and power through Um, But one of the most integral pieces of advice that I was given was from Lynn Abelis, who, I don't know if you know, know but you know her brother. Her brother, yeah. Um, So she was in the show for a long time. And this advice was given to her by um, someone who was in the show for a long time. Her name was Chris Coop and she has since passed, but her words still ring true in my ears that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so that, keeping that in mind that because of our unique situation, you have to prep for a marathon. It's not, it's not, you don't know when the end date is and we're very lucky to not have a closing date, but there's no closing date. Like like, this is the show that never ends. (laughs) Like it, it, it keeps going, which is so amazing. And so, you know, unique, but that at the same time, it's like, you're also a human being who's not going to be at hundred percent all the time. And you have to, if you're going to be in it for the long haul, then yeah. you have to prep your body and your mind for that. And so just remembering that it's a marathon.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I think that that's, I think that's the, the thing that kind of always kind of rang true for me. And so then we get one week of paid vacation every six months that is accrued, um, kind of like per week that you work. So it's either the time or the money, like it's not really equivalent. You can take the time or the money differently, but essentially after six months you've earned a week of your salary that you can take a vacation. And the idea of a paid vacation just sounds incredible. (laughs) So, I mean, I think to the day, like my, I debuted on February 6th and I think on August 6th I took my week vacation. (laughs) Um, and I have found that if I don't take a week off every six months, I go crazy <laughs> where it's not just for my body, which of course it needs because we don't ever get more than one day off, Right. but it's for my, my, my brain, for my heart, for my soul to like, not be in that building, not like to, to appreciate all the things that it can give me. But sometimes if you, if you work yourself too hard and you don't give yourself the appropriate time to like rest and recover, you're not going to finish the marathon,
1: right?
0: let alone, you know, keep running it. So, so yeah, I think, I think for me, it was something that I've been really good about making sure that I take vacation and the sick days like that. I'm still, I'm still learning, but I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it where it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, it's, it's a process like everything's a process, yeah. right? But you know, I think, oh, well, I'd rather just call out on a one-show day so that I have the whole day to rest. But then, you know, I went in for a matinee on a Saturday, and I was kind of feeling like shit. And, you know, I thought, well, I'm already here. I can just do it. And then I was like, or I can just call out of the evening show and go home and sleep. Right. And that's what I did. Like, I went to bed <laughs> at 8 and i didn't wake up until like 10 the next morning oh and i was like i guess yeah my body needed that like sometimes i i think well i'm already there i'll just power through but if i'm not even at 80% that's not for the greater good right you know and that's not good for the audience either and that's why we have swings and that's why there are people who are there on the bench who are ready to step in if you're not feeling your best yeah so Yeah, I think, I mean, it's like a a greater conversation as to why it's hard for me to call out because, you know, I think it's like MS wise, I'm like, no, but I got to do it now because I can. And so like, there are like emotional issues that go. There's a lot of
1: layers. There are a lot of layers. Yeah, lots (laughs) of layers. Lots of layers. We don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, Mm -hmm. but I was going to ask you about your MS and how you've been feeling these days and how, if you've met any other artists who are dealing with this particular disease, if you've how it's been affecting you recently with how you think about your career and your creativity.
0: Yeah. That's I a think a lot it, of questions. Yeah, no, it's, it, they're great questions. <laughs> Anything I you lo- want to tell me on this I subject, love, I would love, <laughs> I love these questions. Um, so I have recently been so much more empowered by my disease. Um, because you got diagnosed. Is it been three years? Uh, yes. Three years ago three, you found out. Yes. It was, uh, April of 2016 yeah, so three and is almost four years almost four, almost four years. Um, and I was very fortunate to have been at the show with the fantastic equity insurance uh, <laughs> that uh, allows me to see, I think, the best doctors in the city and get the best medication. Um, and it was caught early. And so I think I being so fortunate to have been diagnosed and to be on a medication that is preventing it from progressing, gives me a lot of hope Mm -hmm. for the future. Now, granted that doesn't mean that I don't have anxiety about what could be and hence the therapy twice a week, but, (laughs) but it's, it's something that I think has kind of empowered me to not wait because I can't guarantee. I mean, nobody can guarantee I can get hit by a bus tomorrow. Like MS might not be the reason why I die but I can do things now. So why don't I? (laughs) So I think when it comes to my creativity and to get to learning more things and more skills, it's like, why, what am I waiting for? And I think back to that first year on Broadway, which was wonderful. And I relished in not having to take auditions and, you know, just kind of like do the job. But then I think like, why wasn't I taking vocal lessons then? Like, why wasn't I taking acting classes? Like I've Mm been, I have all this time. Why wasn't I using the time that I had to be pursuing this fully? Like, what am I waiting for? What do I stall for? You know? So I think being diagnosed then kind of gave me that push that I needed to not be afraid of doing new things and just trying them. Like, you know, Nobody is an expert at everything. Right. And what do you have
1: to lose. Yeah. You that's, know, that's one of the things I feel like there's a, there's a really famous Ira Glass quote about this, but of being okay with being bad at something at first, mm-hmm. because of course you're going to be bad at it at first, but we are so focused on being perfect or just, we think as adults that we should already be proficient in something, even though we haven't tried it. Right. That we skip that step of like, it's okay to be bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if you're learning. And I think that's part of it too, where as adults, we get good at things. And so we know how good it feels to be good at things. Right. And so, you know, nobody wants to be bad at something. Like it doesn't feel good to be bad at something, but the only way to get better is to keep doing it. And that's how we got good at the things that we're good at. So I think that's that. And the what's, what keeps us, I feel, from doing that is just all the like inhibitions that we, and the walls that we put up as adults when we were children, like we didn't care. We were just like, okay, whatever, no big deal. And like, that is the, like, I try and go back to that, that girl. Like, remember when you were fearless and you didn't care what people thought and you just tried something because you wanted to without caring about whether the outcome was perfect, you know, just, just try, just try. So so yeah. So like, I think my disease has given me the kind of like the push to be a little bit more fearless. And I think, I mean, I don't know, like quoting all the, all the musicals, but like no day, but today, (laughs) you know, like I've always loved that song and I've always loved that message in rent. And I think it never really rang more true than after I was diagnosed because it's like, What am I waiting for? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I mean, I went to Europe last year and I think there was a part of me that was waiting to meet the man of my dreams so he would take me to Paris. And it's like, Notre Dame is on fire (laughs) and I've never seen it. What am I waiting for? I'm gonna go see it. And even though I couldn't really see it because, you know, it's not open, but, like, I was there and I ate that really awesome gelato. And, like, (laughs) you know, like, I... I want to see and do everything yeah, because I can. And I feel like it's a disservice to people who can't by not living the life I can live, you know? Yeah. So I think that's how kind of I approach my disease. And so then sometimes it can get the better of me where I'm just like, go, 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 go. And then I'm like, okay, but you also have a degenerative disease, Giselle. You should sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah. You should just
0: rest or, you know, right. like... The fine line yeah and and a lot of times too emotionally as well i don't know if my mood swings are ms related or lady related you know mm-hmm. like i question a lot of times if my symptoms are because i'm just a human being or is it because of my disease because right. mood swings are something that that affects a lot huh. of patients with ms and so is depression you know but also depression runs in my family, and so right. like those are things where I, I try and understand where it's coming from, and then I realize that it doesn't really matter.
1: You just have to deal with because <laughs> you just have to deal
0: with it. Like you just have to figure out how to.
1: Have you found it useful it. to, like, meet other people your age who are dealing with the same disease, or has so, that not really been as much a part of your process?
0: Sadly, um, there is a support group for people my age, but it's uh, at night on a Tuesday. Uh (laughs) So I've been to one meeting before, but there wasn't really many people who were my age. Um, they were a little bit older. Uh, and the thing with MS too, is that it affects everybody differently. Like for me, it uh, attacked my optic nerve. So I, you know, experienced, uh, issues with my vision, but for other people, it attacks their muscles or their joints or, um, for other people, it attacks their bowel movements. And so like it, it's really kind of the reason why it's not cured is because we don't know why it chooses to attack what part of the central nervous Mm. system. Um, but what we can do is prevent it from progressing, which is amazing. Um, and so that has been difficult for me, but I recently went to a, um, what was it? It's the, it was the walk MS, um, appreciation dinner or whatever. They had like a certificate, award ceremony where they gave us a certificate for raising money for Walk MS. And there I met uh, two wonderful human beings who I just like instantly connected with um, mostly because it was open bar and we were the last ones surrounding <laughs> the open bar. We were like, why did everybody leave? And like, Oh, you're awesome. You're cool. And then we went out afterwards and got food. Cause of course we were starving and, and we just started chatting about stuff and, and, and Sammy doesn't have MS, but she, uh, her mom does. And so that's why she's really passionate about the cause. And, and then Jack has a lot of friends and family who have MS, but he personally doesn't have MS. And so like the three of us have kind of created this little support group of our own where we have a group chat and, you know, we kind of text each other and actually I've joined my team with Jack's team. Oh, that's great. So for, for 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 neck for, ne- for, for this, this year yeah I guess. for this year yeah for this year coming up Um, and so it's interesting because I feel like I'm more connected to not necess- it's not necessarily just people who have MS but people who care about the cause yeah Um, and I'm on the committee for Walk MS this year oh cool where I mean I don't I I kind of just like sit there and listen because it's my first year so I don't I don't know but I think I've wanted to. I want to be more involved and I want to, I want to use my story and my, whatever public platform that I have to raise awareness of like, this is what MS looks like. And you know, I've slowly, but surely I'm trying to figure out how I can be helpful to not just the cause, but to other people who have the disease to, you know, like, look, you can be on Broadway too. You can, you can do eight shows a week if you want to, you know, and like, this is what MS looks like. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not just because I'm not in a wheelchair doesn't mean I don't have this disease and, right. and it's affecting over a million people in the United States, which is a lot of people. Um, and so I think in that way, we're trying to find a community of others who also care about what I'm going through, even if they're not going through it, I I get support from them. Yeah, and so that's something that I've been trying to also like kind of cultivate because I think it's important for me personally, for my own, um, you know, emotional well being, to be surrounded by people who are like me, yeah. who also have this disease.
1: No, because obviously your friends and family care about you so much and are supporting you, but it's good to have people who you aren't in those intimate relationships with who understand in a different way yeah and who aren't worried about you in that you know what I mean like that close family they don't have their their attachment to Mm -hmm. their worry and sadness about something or concern in the same way but they they have that understanding and Mm -hmm. that shared ground
0: yeah I mean
1: I'm not, I don't feel like I have like, sadness wasn't the right word. That's not what I meant. No,
0: no. But I, I, I get that. I mean. Concern. Yeah. Concern is definitely palpable with my family, <laughs> our oh, of family. Course.
1: Parents. <laughs> yeah. Obviously like, you're, yeah. Like,
0: your kid, like,
1: they want to make sure you're okay.
0: Of course. Of course. So yeah, that like, I understood what you meant by sadness. Cause I, yeah, like I see I it, but I see it in them and that they worry about me all the time. And it's like, but I'm, I'm great. Like I'm. I'm actually amazing. Like, right. like this is, I'm good. And if I'm not good, I will let you know, I promise, right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> I had to think about that. I'm like, would I let them know? Yes, probably yes, I will. Yes. yes, of course I will. Of course I will. Um, cause you know, I'm, I'm also just trying to be better about being vulnerable and being honest and yeah, no, you know, and I'm like so, I'm so glad that you're not always involved. sharing that happiness. but sharing yeah. the sadness too.
1: Right. Um, can we switch gears and talk yeah. a little bit about your dance career before Phantom, before sure. you came to New York? Yeah. Because you you were dancing in D.C. for a long time, mm-hmm. from Miami, going way back. Oh, yeah, three I'm sure I mentioned this in the intro, but just that was my sister-in-law. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, grew up in Miami, and then you decided to go right into professional dance. You didn't go to college after high school, right? Correct. And Correct. so you've been dancing professionally since you were, what,
0: 17 or 18? I was fortunate enough to train at miami city ballet school and i started dancing with the company when i was 15 so yeah i was i've been so dancing. already working professionally yeah i mean i was a student dancing with the company so i wasn't getting paid right to perform with them but i was given uh shoes which was pretty much like payment because shoes are <laughs> expensive and um you know if we would travel to because uh, at miami city they have for home theaters so it's not just in miami proper but then in broward and west palm beach and in naples to do like the nutcracker or any of their programs that they do all season so when we would travel to the theaters that weren't in miami we'd get a per diem which again i would just like you know hoard hospitality at the, <laughs> at the theater and you know you know use that as money to you know be a teenager. Be a teenager. Yeah, which <laughs> was a, which I spent most of my time dancing, um, but yeah. So I gained a lot of professional experience when I was still in high school, um, and then yeah, the plan was to stay in Miami because I didn't get a job at Miami City Ballet as a like an apprentice. At the time, they were just starting a second company, but um, I had a friend who auditioned for the Carolina Ballet and. She came back saying, like, he's still hiring. Like, you should go to North Carolina and audition for him. So I went because my uncle lives there, so I had somebody to stay with. And, um, yeah, ended up getting an apprenticeship at 18 with the Carolina Ballet. And so, yeah, I, that I ended up moving in August after my senior year of high school to North Carolina and lived with my friend uh, who had also gotten a job as well and started my first job right out of high school. It's just <laughs> crazy. Um, and then I got to a point where I was budgeting and I wasn't making enough money as an apprentice to like, I was just enough to like pay my rent. Right. But then like, if I wanted to go to the movies, I didn't have any, any money for that. So then I started working at Starbucks. <laughs> so I would work at Starbucks in the morning and then go and dance all day or reverse dance all day and then work closing shifts. Um, yeah, and it started my <laughs> career as not just a dancer but as like a person.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> and I was all of say, the jobs I had. I mean you've worked in retail as well, but you've mm-hmm. you had a very when you were living in DC, you've and well and when you first moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Like you had a a long kind of side career in the restaurant business. Oh
0: yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I think it it Do- certainly has always been something that I have valued because I don't know. I'm not your like typical ballerina. Like I have interests that excel, that ex- I'm sorry, exceed beyond just the world of ballet, and so I felt like it always gave me this balance of like talking to people who didn't know what theme and variations is, or you know, don't know every step to Stars and Stripes. Like you know, <laughs> it it felt like it made me feel normal, if you will. Like, um, and so, so yeah, I think I've always kind of gravitated towards doing things that weren't necessarily in the arts um and at first my first restaurant job was in north carolina after starbucks which i guess is technically still yeah. like they're still like serving involved you know like being nice to other people um yeah, definitely <laughs> Hospitality, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 different, different vibe, but yeah. certainly in the hospitality indri- uh, industry. And um but yeah, I had, uh, I feel like it was just a restaurant that a lot of the dancers used to go to, and so then we were like in in the kind of like apartment like house complex that we lived at. We had a friend Jason who worked at Shabashabu, and so then. I ended up getting a job there because I'd make more money as a hostess mm-hmm. than I would at Starbucks, and so then, that's kind of where I learned, where where I began kind of my restaurant <laughs> life, and learned from like the ground up, like right. how to be a host, and then seeing how kitchens run, and and then eventually serving, and then bartending and right. things like that.
1: <laughs> how did you like when you were? Um, working with dance companies in D.C. and when you first moved to New York, how did you feel like that balanced with your auditioning and with your performing schedule?
0: So in, D- in D.C. it was if a little If you were to do different. it again,
1: would you go back to that industry or would you try to find
0: something else? If you needed, if you were in that position where you needed the side job again. Um, I would probably go back. Yeah. Because I personally found a lot of joy in serving people, food and wine, um, I have a passion personally for it. And so I think that that's kind of what radiates when I would do the job. And often people would be like, wow, you, you seem so happy. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, like I'm not taking out a trash for a living. You know, right. I'm always, I'm always looking at the it's cup half full, Somewhat
1: enjoyable. you know? Me. And yeah.
0: And at the end of the day, uh, as long as it was something that I believed in, I felt like right. I could sell it. Because it wasn't, I wasn't trying to sell you on something like, that wasn't, food. yeah, right. You know, like Bulgaria was um, such a staple for me, but it took me six months to become a senior server. That I pretty much had all of the shitty shifts, which means I had to work during the lunch shifts, which means I couldn't go to auditions. And but I had to put in my time, so then I could get the better shifts mm-hmm. that I would make the more money. So I would have to work as much, so I could have my With mornings free. So then I could go to auditions. Right. Um, and I think it's it's possible. But if you don't like it, then you should find something else that you do like. And for me, because I believed in what we were doing, what the food we were selling, um, that it wasn't hard for me. Because I was just like, it's just... We're not going to war here. We're just having lunch. What do you like? Are you a vegetarian? Do you like fish? Do you like meat? Look, this is really good. This is also delicious. What do you like? I'm sure we have something that you'll you'll enjoy. You know, like it to me it didn't seem like that difficult because I wasn't like trying to con somebody into spending a lot of money. Like, right. like that's not why I was there. Um, and personally as someone who enjoys going out to dinner and eating food and drinking wine like I want to share that love and so I think for me it's certainly an industry that is is my plan B if you will <laughs> you know if I had to go back but I don't think I would dislike it right? you know what I mean I think I'd, I'd still find joy in it
1: when you were working in would you call it concert dance or modern dance like when you were in DC
0: um yeah I'd say
1: concert dance concert dance mm-hmm. when you were working in concert dance were there any big lessons that you feel like you learned as an artist in that particular version of the art form?
0: I found so much liberation in concert dance. Um, Particularly the difference between the ballet world and the contemporary modern, you know, they're they're technically both concert dance, right? But there is this stigma about body type and, image in ballet. And it's always been something that has followed me where, you know, I was, I've been told by directors that I'm very talented and I can dance circles around soloists, but my thighs are too big to be put in pink tights on stage. So you're not going to get a full-time job here or we're not going to rehire you. Um, and those things have shaped me to have the thick skin that I have and have taught me that that is a subjective opinion. Thank you so much for your time. That doesn't mean that I can't dance, you know? And so when I went from ballet to modern, all of a sudden I wasn't, nobody gave a shit about what I look like. Like, look what those powerful thighs can do. Exactly. <laughs> Lifting
1: that other person. Yeah.
0: Or or how about it's not about what your body looks like. It's yeah. the art that you're doing. It's what you're doing that matters. It's not about what it... Th- this idea of perfection and like right. what supposed to... Like, there is no supposed to.
1: How did you make that transition? Were you always kind of, I am going to be a ballerina? Um, or were you, when that opportunity presented itself you were so, open to it so what like, happened oh, was this.
0: um so I didn't I, I wasn't offered a full well I I wasn't told whether or not I was going to get a job at the Washington Ballet full time and so I started auditioning and I uh auditioned for Ballet Memphis and for City Dance Ensemble within the same week uh, and City Dance Ensemble was a company in DC that's a contemporary based and obviously Ballet Memphis is Ballet Memphis and on the same day I was offered a job from both oh my god places I know I went from zero job to two jobs in one day right I want to have that <laughs> it I want to have that day <laughs> It was it was mind boggling right and the only reason why I auditioned for City Dance was because I sent my headshot and resume to every dance company in the DC metro area right. like <laughs> African Indian like styles that I not skilled at but I was like well I live in DC and like I'm a dancer. I'm, I'm a dancer. So let's just send it all out there. <laughs> and um, and they got back to me and I auditioned for them. And like I said, they offered me a, a company position because they don't have like, everyone's just an ensemble member. And then I was offered an apprenticeship with Ballet Memphis. And, you know, at the time I was dating somebody. So like the, the lure of staying in DC was, right. you know, a little bit because of that person. But then also, there were the weeks, there were more weeks of work in DC than there were in Memphis. The pay was better. And, you know, Valley Memphis was going on tour that year, but to like Atlanta, Georgia. And City Dance Ensemble was going to go to tour in Jordan, like the Middle East. Right. <laughs> and I've never left the country at that point. I didn't even have a passport. How exciting. And so it just seemed like an opportunity that I couldn't. Same note to. And even though it was terrifying and I didn't, and you know, lots of imposter syndrome of like, can I even do this? Like I'm a ballet dancer, but you know, I just kind of like went for it because they wouldn't have offered me a job if they didn't think I could do it. And right. so they believe in me. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to believe in myself. And then finding that liberation of being able to take class every day and not like look in the mirror and judge every, you know, role or crevice of my body and just kind of embrace who I was Ugh. as a person could then just let me be myself as an artist in a way that like, I don't think I ever really experienced prior to that. What a relief. It was. And you didn't even
1: know you needed probably. Yeah.
0: Fully. I had, I had no idea. And it's funny cause, uh, cause my friend Jade at the time she came and like took class at city dance and, or she came and saw a show or something and she told me, she was like, Giselle, I've never seen you dance like that before. Like you just, you're just radiating. You look so happy, you know? And it was just like taking ballet class. Like it wasn't even like, I, it wasn't like I was performing or it was a show of some sort, but like she could see the difference in just like my yeah. soul where I could just be myself. And it was That makes me really so happy incredible. just to hear you retell that story. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, really, really amazing. Uh-huh. And so... I don't know I always try and draw back to those experiences and remember like you know I have certainly had moments since then where I'm being judged by my body or I've been told I need to lose weight or you know but then I remember like you can't you can't diminish my light you can't diminish the passion that I have for this because it's more important it's more important and that's why I'm an artist that's why I do this because I can't not do this <laughs>
1: Well, we could talk forever. I know. I'm oh going God, to like worst. slowly try to wind it up. Okay. I you know I'm not ready to, but it's been a long time. Is there a lesson that you're really proud of that you've learned in the last year or two that you want to share? Something small or large?
0: Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's like a lesson or if it's just a, it's like an affirmation, you know, like, like never underestimate your potential because I don't know. I think maybe it's the way I was raised. Maybe it's like the the dancer in me that's always like striving for perfection, but it's not like there's always more. And it's not in like I don't know, it's not like in a consumption kind of way where like we need a lot of things, but it's more like I don't know. <laughs> I don't ever want to feel like I'm satisfied or it's just Mm. like, this is it, like being stagnant. I, I, I think that's one of the things I fear the most of just being like complacent and, um, satisfied, striving for more. Yeah. And so I think that there's always, there's always something new to learn. There's always some, there's always a new way to challenge yourself. Um, and I think that that's what's exciting about life is that you get to do those things. So, I don't know. I don't want to miss out.
1: Two little questions okay. I always ask at the end. Okay. And then we'll wrap it up. When you do feel feel yourself going to that dark place or you're kind of having a lull, mm-hmm. are there any concrete things that you reach for again and again? Like books you go back to or music you listen to or places you go um, that can help you <laughs> get
0: out of it? This is funny because I actually do this because of the podcast because of something I heard at the podcast by oh my. a good friend of ours Alejandro Rodriguez <laughs> um, episode one yeah episode one yeah yeah I I find water I think that's one of the reasons I love my apartment is because I can see the mm-hmm. river and um, maybe because we're Miami kids and like yeah the ocean is something that is so like embedded in our lives um, but I find my way towards the river even if it's smelly.
1: <laughs> it really does you have an impact
0: um and yeah i think something about it is just like really calming and and the fact that it's infinite as well yeah. you know um so that's something that i i definitely um i go to uh food <laughs> <laughs> like <Hey. laughs> there is there is nothing like something delicious <laughs> yeah but like there's nothing like something delicious to make me feel better yeah. you know and i do kind of have a you know pretentious taste in food <laughs> in the sense where like i will spend i will spend all my money on something delicious because to me that that's that's worth it and so you know like sometimes it's a chocolate chip cookie from culture and that's gonna make me feel better or it's french fries from five guys you know like there are certain things that i know will make me happy and so i think that indulging in those tiny things help
1: yeah um it's funny because i took sassy a couple weeks ago to um gantry state park in long island city Mm -hmm. and i we were walking right by the like the fence on one of the platforms along the water and I like s- saw her just like looking at it for the first time and I was like I don't know if she's ever really noticed when we've been by the river before mm-hmm. and I was thinking about that I was just like this is gonna be a, a relationship that she feels for her whole life because mm-hmm. I feel that same way about water and I was like mm-hmm. see- I'm seeing this happen mm-hmm. right now that's amazing um and then the final question is have you seen anything recently of any art form that you want to recommend or consumed of anything of any art form.
0: Um, I know. I
1: know you. Since you're in a show, it's hard to see other shows. But
0: yes, I feel like you. So do many shows. A yeah, I. I really do actually. But it um, could be Also, a book, a or movie, or whatever. I like to say like like too many shows, not enough days off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm still obsessed with Parasite. Like I'm. That's probably one of the most.
1: I think about inc- it all the time.
0: It's yeah. It's still so visceral that that movie going experience um i mean and it's since closed so that's annoying but slave play Mm. was probably one of the more moving experiences i've had in a theater lately um you know what though also closed though (laughs) (laughs) i'm the worst recommending things that aren't open anymore um but the Wronged man I I went, I went and saw it MCC and it was, I heard that that was very good. It was so, so great. And it's, um, Travis wall choreographed it and talking about how dance is the, a vessel for storytelling. Um, it's definitely the kind of work that I'm interested in doing and being a part of. And so, um, getting to witness that, like it's sit in an audience and watch it and have it affect me. Um, was, it was just really fun. It was a really, really fun, fun ride. I hope it has another life. I'll be in for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this was a long time coming, but I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, I really so appreciate enjoyable. you having me. Yay. Thank you for listening to The Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.